Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking to Cal O'Brien, managing partner at Anchorage Capital Partners. Anchorage is a mid-market turnaround private equity specialist in the Australian market with a stellar track record. They've given investors an average ORR over their 21-odd investments of just over 40%, and that equates to about three times money invested. Please remember that this podcast isn't designed to be, nor is it specific or general advice. People are encouraged to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast and to also read all offered documents and PDSs and seek their own advice before considering any investments. You are, however, encouraged to send me feedback and suggestions of, in fact, who those leading minds in wealth management are. You can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Brian. Welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks, David. Yeah, look, big fan of the of the show and very happy to be here. Cal, can we kick off with you giving us a bit of a background and introduction to who you are for the listeners, please? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, so Cal and O'Brien's my name. Uh, I'm a managing partner at Anchorage Capital Partners, a mid-market private equity firm uh, based in Sydney. Uh, really specialising in in operational improvement um, and turnaround uh, special situation investing across Australia and New Zealand. And Cal, I'm lucky enough to know you um, from your brother. We both went to uh, boarding school together. Your brother was one of those guys that everyone was uh, uh, envious of. You know, I think he might have been Ducks of the Year, captain of the basketball team, cap also in the first 15, seemed to have it all. I thought people were only supposed to be good at sport or study and he had it both. Um, from that, I know that you're raised on a farm. Um, tell me, what do you think growing up on a farm has helped you with being a lawyer and, and now a private equity investor? Yeah, look, I grew up on a farm, yeah, in a little town called uh, Arlethan, about 100 kilometres north of north of Wagga, um, sheep and wheat farm. Uh, and I, I think an ideal upbringing for, for, for lots of lots of reasons, uh, a lot of fun. But then how that shapes you as as a person and as an investor, you know, is is difficult to difficult to tell. I, I think there are certain traits that are that are quite common across across farmers: uh, optimism, resilience. Uh, building strong relationships with your neighbours and with your suppliers and things like that. Um, uh, look, I think they're they're sort of some of some of the, the the key key learnings. I think it's also growing up on a farm, working closely with with your parents and seeing what they're what they're going through. I think that's probably common across across small business, but you get a lot more exposure to you know to your your parents and what what they're thinking about uh, on with their with their business than than you might do in in you know when your parents work in in larger organisations. So yeah. It's, it's yeah. always struck me the ability of rural people and farmers to deal with adversity um, and also to deal with the cyclicality of cash flows and being very cash flow conscious where, you know, a lot of people on wages, you know, they're not very cash flow conscious and they just sort of go about it, do it like robots where, you know, farmers tend to really plan out their cash flows quite well, the successful ones who are multi-generational anyway. Um, Cal, ha how did you come to be... Um, a private equity investor, and how did you end up at Anchorage? What was your, your career path? Yeah, well, the, the uh, 
following, you know, leaving the farm, went in, uh, studied in Sydney and high school, boarding school with, with you, as you mentioned a bit earlier, uh, and then went and studied uh, commerce and, and law um, at New South Wales University. Uh, wasn't sure at the time whether to go into straight into business or, or law. I thought I'd go and spend a couple of years in law and then make the transition. So I joined uh, Minter Ellison, which is, you know, one of Australia's largest law firms and, and really enjoyed it, actually. Got into, into mergers and acquisitions there, uh, which which was great. Uh, moved across with them to, to London and worked over in London for a few years, uh, and then uh, and then saw an opportunity to work in New York. So moved to Debevoise and Plimpton, uh, which is one of the, the leading uh, New York firms, uh, and worked uh, in there. And that was my first exposure really to private equity. Private equity then was just really starting to to take off. So I got to work with some really great uh, great partners over there and some really good clients. So then when I came back to Australia in the early 2000s, I decided that was really the, the area that I wanted to go into. So so we went back to Minter Ellison and became a partner there and really built a practice uh, in, in private equity, advising some of Australia's, you know, sort of leading um, private equity firms. Uh, a number of the guys I worked with, uh, you've actually had on the podcast over over the last few years. And so got to work with some, some really uh, interesting guys, some really smart guys. Uh, and, and what I really liked about it was I was able to build a sort of a trusted relationship, um, uh, trusted advisor relationship with a number of these, which meant that that they uh, were able to sort of uh, open up to me a lot more about the, their investments, uh, why they were looking at a particular investment. Uh, and then once they'd done investment, the things that were going well, the things that weren't going so well. So that's one of the real benefits, I think, of, of working in law is that you get to see a lot of transactions. And that was, that was something that I I really enjoyed, but it really made me realise that I wanted to be on the other side of the fence. Really wanted to be uh, doing the deals. That so was, uh, and then helping these businesses improve. And that's what that's what led me to Anchorage. And and how did that come about? Um, so, you know, I think an introduction. Do you want to give us a little bit of background on Anchorage, um, the firm, how it came about? And I guess that'll lead us into have a discussion of Phil and his background. Um, maybe you can give our listeners a bit of a taste to who Anchorage is and then how that relationship came about and you're joining them. Yeah, uh, Phil um, Cave is a very well-known um, sort of across the Sydney uh, Australian business community. He was one of the uh, original guys at Macquarie and left there in the in the late eighties uh, to go and 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 start what has really formed the, the basis of, of what Anchorage is today, where he would go into businesses with the backing of Macquarie or other other sort of uh, private equity funds, uh, and he would uh, he would become the the chief executive executive or executive chair and really work on on turning these businesses around, um, working through all the sort of the, uh, with a very hands-on operational approach, uh, what we call now and what we've refined to our back-to-basics approach. Phil did that successfully through the, the 90s and, and early 2000s um, and uh, and I worked with him closely on, on a number of those. Then then he approached me and said that he was looking to, to raise, uh, raise the first Anchorage fund in 2007. So I worked with him uh, assisting him on on uh, setting up that fund, uh, and then worked uh, as as the lawyer to Anchorage uh, for uh, for the first fund, and then joined Anchorage. He invited me to come across and join uh, about ten years ago, just as the second fund was kicking off. 
What's your observation been? Is it easier to be in doing the deals with your arms, with your sleeves rolled up, or is it easier to be slightly more on the sidelines as the lawyer? It's different. <laughs> I think would be the the, uh, uh, the, the cop-out question there. Um, the I think being a lawyer... Uh, you you have less ups and downs than you have as 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 the uh, as the as the investor, and I think you get a lot more satisfaction uh, when things go well uh, when you're actually in there on the tools uh, turning these businesses around. So I, yep. I'm very you're actually happy. in the ring rather than the person on the sideline telling them what to do in the ring. Exactly, exactly. So look, I'm very very happy that I've I've made the change. And tell us a little bit about Anchorage style. I think a lot of investors, and we've had Andrew Rothery on the podcast in the back and a lot of private equity people as you as you sort of flag there on the podcast, um, talk to us about Anchorage's particular style. I think a lot of people in Australia, when they think private equity, think about venture capital and early stage high risk companies, um, or they think about private equity like leverage buyouts and the big KKR and they have in their mind a model of buy a company, pump it full of equity, spruce it up and then dump it out on the markets or similar. Talk to us a little bit about the style of business that Anchorage um, invest in and, and, and what you do. And you might might be easiest way to give us an example of one of your investments. I know that you've had a great track record at Anchorage and that there's been 16 successfully exited transactions with a, with an average return of 3.2 times money on invested capital, which is spectacularly successful. But give us a flavour of where you sit in position in that sort of, you know, unlisted private investment space. Yeah, so... We, we, we're a little different to, to all of the others that, that you've mentioned. So we take control positions um, in each business that we, we buy. We like to generally buy 100% of the business. Uh, and we look for businesses uh, of, of scale, businesses generally with more than $100 million of, uh, of revenue. But they're really businesses where we believe that with a really hands-on approach, we can make a, a significant difference to the, the underlying uh, sort of operations of the business. And so uh, a large proportion of the businesses we've bought have been carve-outs by non-core orphan businesses from large listed companies uh, and and we really um, take it take an approach through our diligence to sort of say uh, we're not looking for for significant top line growth. We're really looking to what we can do to this business to make it a more efficient business, with the aim of of doubling the the bottom line of the business during our sort of three to five year hold, uh, even without uh, opera, uh, top line growth. So that means that when we come into a business, we really believe that these are the controllable levers that we know that if we execute on those uh, on those initiatives then then we will have a successful investment and I think that's what really makes us different to uh, to others who are really looking for significant growth uh, in in the business certainly in venture capital but even in in the sort of leverage buyouts you know sort of they, they are using certainly more debt than what we would use where, where for us it is much more about getting in there and uh, making a, a real difference to, to the business so, so you guys are almost like management consultants Consultants. I think you only have typically sort of around eight companies within your portfolio, which is really small compared to a, a number of other 
products or funds in the market, but I think that's probably a factor of that you're on the tools and you're, you're meeting with these companies so often. Yeah, it really is a very hands-on approach that we take. We, we have uh, two partners and, and, uh, and a number of, uh, of other team members on each investment and, and we meet with, uh, with these, these uh, companies very regularly. So we have a monthly board meeting, but then we have two operational improvement meetings uh, a month. So we're really meeting with our, our portfolio companies very regularly. We don't work in the business. We uh, select really strong management teams to, to run these businesses and they know more about how to run these businesses than, than we do. But, but we are able to, to be there to help guide guide them and and provide the you know the focus and the discipline on on actually executing on the levers that we identified when we came into this business as how we were going to get this business from where it, it was to, to where it needs to be and uh, and so that's that's a way of looking at we are, are there selecting the right management team and then driving them to achieve the outcome and what's an example of one that's worked really well for you yeah, so so an example of, of one is uh, is Affinity Education. Uh, that was a slightly uh, different in that that was originally an ASX listed company. It was it was not a not a stressed business. I think it was earning approximately thirty million EBITDA with about one hundred and fifty uh, centres, uh, childcare centres across the country. Uh, but we saw that the business should be performing a lot better than what it was, and so we took the business private. Uh, we changed the management team, put in a really strong management team there and then went about executing on the levers that, that we had uh, we had identified prior to uh, to to buying the business which were really about reducing the staff churn uh, we're about ro- improving the rostering improving the facilities improving the curriculum uh, and uh, and that all led to you know the business being a significantly stronger business when we went to exit it we sold it uh, about two years ago to another private equity fund quadrant uh, and we had the same number of centres, but earnings had improved to $60 million. So that was a, a great investment for us. How'd Quadrant go with it? Quadrant is still going, but from all reports, they're going really well. They've, uh, they've uh, used our platform. They've uh, bolted on a, a large number of, uh, of new centres and and they're, they're flying. So I think that will be another really strong investment for those guys. I hope guys. you're feeling okay with that. I, I can always remember my grandfather saying, uh, David, you won't go broke making a profit. So I think you've got to remember that I, I I take from your grin there that you might feel like you left a little bit on the table. Oh look, look, we certainly did, but it, but I think it, it really is uh, what we say is we want to build a, a a strong, sustainable business that the next owner can use as a platform to continue to grow, and uh, and we'd like to hand over to you know sort of a, a more natural owner. Quadrant has been a natural owner to grow the business uh, significantly, uh, and and we like to see people who buy businesses from us do well as well. So Stick to your knitting. Exactly. Very good. Yeah. And, and what sort of multiple on your money would have you made out of that ballpark? Yeah, no, we made about three and a half times our money on, on that deal, which was uh, which No one's going to complain investment. about that, right? Uh, uh, very, very good investment for us. Excellent. So, you know, it's really easy to talk about the ones that go right. Um, they say we learn more from the ones that don't go quite as well. Talk about Scott's for us, um, maybe for the listeners, explain what the business was, is, and, and, and what, what went on there. 
Yeah, Scott's uh, is Australia's largest refrigerator logistics business. Um, had about 500 trucks and about 30 refrigerator warehouses around the country. Very complicated business. Uh, we, we bought that business from uh, from uh, another listed uh, listed company, which they had uh, 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 picked it up through corporate activity. It was, certainly wasn't core to their their operations. They were keen to uh, offload it. We bought it. Uh, the the business uh, was was in worse shape than. What what we we thought and were shaped than what we think the vendors um, uh, thought, and we put in a new management team. And look, you know, whenever investments don't go don't go well, uh, there's there's always a number of uh, number of reasons for that. They're all great learning experiences for us, uh, and yeah, you know, so we we really uh, keep learning from every one of our our investments, and we've made quite a few. You know, they've uh, they've all been you know sort of uh, we've all been great learning experiences. And they've all been, you know, sort of uh, strong performers. This is the the only one that we've had that that hasn't really worked out for us. So it's still a bit raw. Uh, it was a combination of a number of things, David. You know, sort of uh, there was some natural disasters, some floods, train derailments. Uh, COVID was uh, it was a significant impact. Uh, we had a, a, a transport management system that that was implemented that had been sort of designed prior to to our acquisition that uh, that that failed, which was quite costly. Um, um, and we had some very strong customers who we weren't able to influence as much as we were, were hoping that we would be able to. So, look, you know, it, it was uh, a disappointing, uh, disappointing end to that uh, that investment. You know, sort of the financiers uh, all all sort of got all their money back, and uh, uh, so, uh, but you know, sort of certainly not 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 a great result for for us. And I take the main customers in that client in that business would have been the major retailers. Yes, the large. Yeah, hard yeah, to negotiate right. with. They, they are. They hold right. all the yeah, cards, they're, right? They're, they're, they're certainly, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're powerful, powerful customers. That's right. Um, and Cal, you've closed, uh, I think, the fourth fund now? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it looks to be well positioned. I think investors who went into that, you closed a couple of months ago. Uh, if I'm right, there's three companies in that portfolio. Uh, if I'm right, there's a... Um, uh, an in-home care business in New Zealand and, and that's sort of leveraging off the the growth in uh, in-home care versus people having to go to hospital for either aged care or for if they've got disabilities or those needs. It's actually a lot cheaper and it's also a lot more comfortable for people to be serviced at home. And I think we've also got uh, an early child care or child care business, which you've got experience in. And then also David Jones, which I want to touch on because sure. everybody knows David yeah. Jones and has an opinion on it, right? But tell us, how are the other businesses going in New Zealand as well? How, how yeah, yeah. So so we've uh, we've bought three, three of the businesses. They're going really, really well. The, the, the in-home care business access, it's called second largest uh, in-home care business in New Zealand. That was a, a corporate carve-out from uh, from a, a listed pharmacy business over there called Green Cross. Uh, a number of the businesses we buy uh, are really as a result of shareholder issues, and, and that's what sort of uh, lead, leads them to looking to a divestment, and we were able to buy that business, we, we think, very well. Uh, it is a nice sector, you know, 30,000 um, 
um, customers that are looking at at home, mostly aged care, some disability, some also as a result of accidents um, uh, that that are out out of uh, recovering and and on their way back back to work. Uh, and uh, so we're we're really looking to to grow that business. Uh, we're growing it in in you know sort of various aspects, but also improving just the the rostering, which is really important. Uh, the business margins at the moment are very very slim when we bought it they were sort of around three four percent you know mm-hmm. we really want to want to get those margins up towards uh the sort of uh high single digit margins which we think are uh, is very achievable and uh we've only owned the business now for, for nine months but we're already sort of well on the way to achieving that so we're, we're very happy with how that business is performing and who's the light the logical buyer or exit for that type of business do you think Look, I think there's there's a there's a, a wide variety of, of buyers for that business. I think there there is going to be continued growth. We think for that, so it could be another private equity fund. Uh, but you know, we've had had interest. Uh, I know from aged care providers and, and already, yes, already. So so I think okay. I think a lot of the a lot of the times when we buy a business, there's quite a bit of complexity in actually carving the business out from its previous owners, uh, and uh, and it's hard for uh, for others to to look through. And and sort of see what does this business look like as, as a standalone business, and and that's what we have. Uh, you know, the bulk of our investments have actually been carved out. So we've got a a, a strong uh, expertise in being able to to disentangle businesses from their previous owners, set them up, uh, and then and then get them really driving on on their two feet. So once we do that, then it quite often attracts interest from uh, from other more natural owners of the business. And how's the childcare business going? I know you guys have got bit of expertise and a track record in that area. Oh, so look, uh, is a, yes. So, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, so that's called Evolve Education. Um, it, it's very, very similar uh, situation to to the Affinity uh, investment that I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, it was an underperforming, uh, you know, sort of business in New Zealand. Over a hundred childcare centres over there. We've done a very similar similar playbook to what we use with Affinity. We've replaced the management team. In fact, using using uh, a, a Chief executive that we've worked with in the past um, with our Burger King investment, which is uh, which is great. We love working with management teams that we've worked with in the, with the past, uh, and and she's uh, brought a, a team around her that are performing really well. Uh, New Zealand was was you know more more affected by COVID than than Australia was, and so it's still really recovering from that. Uh, so that 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 turnaround is 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 well underway, and we we're confident that's going to be another uh, strong investment for the fund. Now, there's a bit of a theme here. I've I've heard a few times in our conversation here about management team and replacement of management team. So it dawns upon me that your ability to pick the right management team, work with them and back them is really, really important. What, What would you say the key things you look for in a management team when you're selecting them? It is key, David, in every successful investment when we look through them all and we've done this, you know, quite a bit to sort of say what's made a, an investment uh, a, a good investment. Uh, and it, it is the you know, management team, the people, which it, which is really key in, in each one of them. And so we have actually done a bit of work looking across which of our um, which of our management teams, which of our chief executives have uh, performed best and what have been the qualities that they've had that uh, that that have sort of made them stand out opposed to others. 
others. Look, I think working well with us is is really important. You can have a chief executive who could be a, a stellar chief executive in for a listed company or even with another private equity fund, uh, but you know doesn't gel with 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 the with the private equity owner. Uh, so that's really important is is that chemistry uh, where they have uh, the the sort of the confidence to be able to really run and drive a business, but they're also open to uh, to 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 you know working with with uh, with the, the uh, with the investors as well. I think that that's key. Also, another one really is is uh, chief executives that are happy to to work hard, but also take a bit of risk. And so you know we we don't want chief executives again to throw up and catch uh, a ball at a time. Where we'd much more prefer them to to throw up eight and try and catch ten. So we really have this this speed of of execution. We really want to turbocharge the change in the business, and and that requires you know sort of people probably you know, taking on uh, uh, sometimes a little bit more risk than they might in in uh, in other situations. And Cal, you know, listeners to the podcast will know that we've often talked in private equity, we've often talking th- through investment. And I think one of the things that hits home is common all the way through this. And Mike Lucan sitting in that chair a few months ago said, follow the money yeah. and follow the incentive of where people are. Do you, how do you incentivize management and how do you approach that? That that's key to I think success of private equity and what really makes us us different to other other you know forms of investment is alignment of interest and and that's really what we're able to get perfect alignment with with our management teams. Uh, we provide them with a, with an option, quite a generous option um, uh, scheme, which which vests depending on on uh, on the success of the investment. But they really need to be there with us through the whole journey for uh, for that to uh, that to vest and so we're we're I think in a in a very strong position to be able to encourage really good management candidates to come and work with us who still get the you know uh, same salary that they would in, a, in another investment but if the if if through their hard work uh, the investment ends up turning to be a successful investment then they get you know sort of uh, compensated uh, well for having done that so uh, it really does does align our interests so the investors make good money private equity firm makes good money and the management of the underlying firm makes good money and hopefully all their stakeholders and also the employees are also part of a, a big growing or larger growing company that's more stable and in a far better position than when you take it. That's right. So it's, it's a win-win for all of those stakeholders. All right. David Jones. Now, we flag that's in the portfolio and everybody has an opinion on this and one of the reasons what we like it is that everyone can actually understand it and get their head around that as an investment. Talk, talk us through the investment thesis at David Jones and how it's tracked today. Yeah. Look, it, it's well publicised. Uh, the uh, previous owner of, of uh, David Jones, Woolworths, um, very successful retailer, uh, the Woolworths uh, from South Africa, uh, and uh, they've done very well in Australia with uh, with other investments like Country Road and, and Witchery. Uh, but David Jones was was not a great investment for, for them. They had a number of uh, of, uh, of missteps, which in hindsight I think they would uh, would would uh, prefer not to have done. They moved into into 
into food in quite a big way that didn't didn't really work. They also had some significant turnover at, at the senior level. I think they had about five chief executives during during uh, their sort of uh, their ownership period. The last of those chief executives, uh, Scott Fife, uh, is who just joined the business a few years ago, is a great chief executive and and so one that we're we're really uh, very happy to be to be working with. So it's a business of scale. You know, two billion dollars of of revenue, of which about sort of 450 million is is online, um, uh, and and that's a sort of a part of the business that we are really focused on 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 growing uh, and improving that part of the business. But all of the all of the the attributes that that we love uh, a, a non core orphan business um, uh, with a with a brilliant brand, and and so we're we're very excited about that that opportunity. We're able to buy it very well, which is another sort of key. Anchorage key, trait, no, key uh, key trait that we we look for in in all of all of our uh, investments, and and what we're really looking at doing in that business uh, is is improving the the customer experience, and and that's what we think is, is key to David Jones. We we believe that you know if if you're able to offer you know sort of a fantastic uh, service, you know sort of a greater choice with you know sort of uh, with the, the best 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 products, then that's going to keep keep the uh, keep people coming back and and you're right there's there's everybody has got their own sort of david jones experience uh michael the piano player's been there for a long time and doing a fantastic job the windows this year are uh, are looking great uh the uh, uh but the the things that anchorage are really in there doing uh, are improving things like the the online experience um at the moment you know there's no app um they do a lot of picking from store at the moment um which you know sort of we see as as a real opportunity here to to improve the the efficiency. Uh, so hang on, explain that to me. Are you, are you telling me at the moment or before you came into the business, you know, somebody would order a size forty Van Houston shirt online, and at the end of the day, there'd be a little printout, and somebody would run down the next day and find the size forty on the shelf if it was there, put it in a post bag, and send it out the next day. Uh, that's right, David, and, wow. and that was uh, that was for for the majority of, uh, of 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 what was ordered online, and and the problem was if if uh, if you ordered two things and one was only available in one store and one was in the other, then then you'd get them from uh, two different deliveries. So uh, I could imagine the first call for you know Anchorage would be you know we got some people who've worked with you know eBay or Amazon or have learnt some smart warehousing supply chain management techniques that we can implement into that because, you know, that brand name is so strong and the product range is strong. Uh, it would just seem an implementation issue. That's that's one of our, our, our key uh, initiatives to, to improve in the business. And yes, you're right. We've been working really hard on that. The first uh, we've, we've owned the business for uh, since since March this year, so mm -hmm. so it's still early days. But but that's that, that's one of the, the key initiatives that we've been been working on. Uh, disentangling it from uh, from the the parent was was also quite complicated. So that took took us some some time. We had to go through a sort of a a, a, a significant landlord consent, uh, you know, sort of to get all of the consent of the landlords, which I'm happy to say we, we've done and we're enjoying well really done, enjoying really strong relationships with our landlords at the moment. And that's also part of our of our of our thesis here is to right size the footprint, which will result in um, in us sort of working in partnership with our landlords to to, to um, reduce that that footprint, uh, uh, which gives us the opportunity then to invest even more into into the flagship stores. So there's some really exciting things that you're going to see at our Chatswood store. 
store and our Bondi store in the in the next uh, next few years. So it's uh, it's it's an exciting opportunity. Cal, let's talk a little bit about the pipeline and the opportunity set. I know in the years gone by, when markets have been super strong, it's kind of been hard for Anchorage to get deals that fit the parameters. Uh, but it would have, would occur to me that when we've had a bit of instability and talk of possible recessions and interest rates and cost of living going up so strong and, and people tightening belts, um, that you're seeing companies now report flatter earnings, struggling, and you know growth growth is a great um, disguiser of underperforming business units. Um, it would appear to me that you're now getting a much better deal flow and much better opportunities because you're having companies come to the market saying, look, our, our things aren't going quite as well as we want and therefore we're getting rid of X, Y and Z. Whereas the years prior to that, everything was going gangbusters, even though there were units that were not performing. What's the deal flow look like at the moment? Really strong, and you're right. You know, we have been able to to uh, to to notwithstanding a really strong Australian economy, uh, do well and find find businesses that suit our model. You know, sort of over the last sort of 15, 16 years. But at the moment, as more stress is coming into into the economy, that is leading um, more more business yes to 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 you know struggle, and it's then looking for leading to to owners of those businesses that are saying do we really need to continue to own these businesses or should we focus on the core and that's that's what we're finding and which suits our our, our model uh, that you know they're now looking to divest them uh, a number of the businesses quite often that we buy are the second or third time we've looked at a business and so a few of these we were speaking to their owners back you know sort of uh, prior to COVID and when we thought COVID hit you know when COVID hit we actually thought that would trigger yep, a, a, a lot of one. a lot of lot more activity uh, but uh, but with the fiscal stimulation that that, that uh, covered over a, a lot of uh, uh, yep. a lot of those, those issues. Uh, we're now as as uh, as the tide's coming out, we're sort of seeing a lot more of those businesses come onto the market. So it makes so me think I, when COVID kicked in, I was about to buy a new car, and they made me an offer, which in hindsight was really sharp. And I thought, no, no, this thing's going to get cheaper. I'll wait. And of course, in six months' time, it had gone up another thirty percent. So I don't have a car <laughs> today, <laughs> but I do notice that the dealers are now texting me with all these deals That's coming right. on. I think I think things are changing on that front. So, yeah. so, so you're seeing that come yeah. through. Um, let's quickly talk about uh, Dick Smith. I know um, it's been one that anyone with access to Google and types in Anchorage um, and private equity may seem to come across, and often private equity gets painted in certain ways in the media or otherwise. Um, how was the Dick Smith uh, transaction for Anchorage and Anchorage investors? And, and what, I guess, would you say, because obviously the outcome in the IPO and later on, what wasn't ideal for everyone involved? Uh, Dick Smith for us was was a fantastic investment and one that we're really proud of. It was it was one that uh, uh, was also followed very much the Anchorage model of buying a, a, a non core orphan business. This time from Woolworths uh, Australia um, uh, and uh, and putting in a new management team. We, we saw opportunity there to significantly improve the underlying operations of that business, which we were able to do uh, and do very successfully. And and you know when we exited that business through an IPO. Uh, 
the business was performing really strongly. It was growing. It had had no debt, uh, and and we were really really proud of of the the turnaround that had been achieved there. Uh, what happened, you know, sort of uh, two years later was outside of uh, our control. And to be honest, we we weren't close enough to it to really see see what you know what what transpired there. But from an anchorage point of view, uh, you know what we did and what we are sort of aimed to do, and we're proud that we do uh, with with our our investments is to take a business that uh, that is is struggling and 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 build it into a, a much stronger performing business, and that's what what we believe we did in that situation. Cal, without notice now, one of the things that we've introduced on the podcast is a way of thanking our guests is to give them the opportunity to plug a not for profit that they that they like. Now I know that Phil Cave is very prominent in the area, so you, pr- you might want to plug his not-for-profit as a way of saying thank you. What's the, what's the organisation he's involved in? Uh, yeah, uh, Ability First Australia is is uh, is uh, one of the. It's an umbrella body for um, for a number of Australia's largest disability um, uh, not-for-profits, uh, and Phil set that up, um, and uh, and Anchorage has supported it since since it was uh, set up. Uh, we actually house them. Uh, in in our offices, uh, we provide them with with support, uh, with sort of uh, you know free free office space and and look, it's 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 a two way street. There we we get a lot from having the the uh, the ability first team uh, working with us. It certainly grounds all of all of the guys. If we think we think we've had a, a a tough day. There's always stories that they've got that are that are uh, that, are, that are that are tougher. Uh, and uh, and you know they're they're a fabulous organisation which we're really so it's happy ability to first. Ability first, Australia. and what's the cause that they support? Or well, they, what they're are they an umbre- uh, umbrella organisation for for a large number of Australia's largest disability organisations. Excellent. Well, Cal, thank you very much. That's been terrific. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Rope. Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.